Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Box Biz. In this episode, I speak with Christopher George, CEO and co-founder of Gentleman's Box and chairman and co-founder of Subscription Trade Association. Chris and I dive into what makes for a successful subscription box product, customer acquisition and retention strategies, the commonalities between all successful subscription box entrepreneurs, and much more. Before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to contact Harbor Marketing Agency. We've helped subscription box companies from all over the world to grow faster by implementing our done-for-you Facebook ad system that takes the marketing off of your hands so you can avoid slow growth and getting beat out by the competition. If you're ready to grow your subscription box company, go to harbormarketingagency.com and book a call to get started. Now let's dive into the episode. Chris, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, hey, thanks. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. So to kick things off here, can you just fill us in a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am the chairman and co-founder of Subta. We are the Subscription Trade Association. Uh, we built this community for brands that are in the direct-to-consumer subscription space. I'm also the co-founder of the Gentleman's Box, which is a subscription box for men, uh, which is kind of what was what started all of this. We started with the Gentleman's Box, and we run the largest event in the direct-to-consumer subscription space uh, called Sub Summit. Awesome, awesome. And so, can you kind of take us through the story here? You know, you, uh, I'm assuming, founded Gentleman's Box first, and then maybe fell in love with the subscription. Yep. And, and kicked off this whole, yeah. this whole crazy community. Yeah. So uh, we launched Gentleman's Box in 2014. Uh, you know, at that time, subscription boxes were kind of booming. You know, there was Birch Box, there was Bark Box, there was, you know, there was um, some of the food services, but it, you know, there wasn't as much targeting men. So we said, hey, why don't we start one that was targeting men? We started Gentleman's Box. We thought it'd be really cool to send men ties and dress socks and tie clips and give them items that give them sort of like sort of this discover and delight feel and we built a partnership with gq very early on so we actually launched our subscription where all our subscribers would also get the latest issue of gq magazine in the box the idea was read about the latest in fashion men's fashion and then get some of that in the box and we did that you know we still had that business till today and in 2016, what really happened was I wanted to go to a trade show or an event in the subscription box space and nothing existed. So as uh, three scrappy entrepreneurs, we said, hey, why don't we do this? Uh, no event experience, just thought, well, you know, we know the space and we know what we'd like to talk about and hear someone talk about. So why don't we put an agenda around it, get some sponsors. And what started as a 200 person conference that was held in Detroit, uh, three years later, last May, May 2019, we had over 1,000 attendees. We had over 95 exhibitors. Uh, it's the largest event in the direct-to-consumer subscription space. And it's everybody from you know, Netflix and Slink TV to FabFitFun and, uh, and HelloFresh and many of the other subscription boxes have all been at our event and all these other subscription brands. Um, and that led us to starting Subta as we wanted to be able to build a community facilitate the community throughout the whole year as opposed to just waiting once a year to get together at Sub Summit. And so that's kind of where we got to and how we are here today. Man, that's incredible. And, and looking at the 
size of the event, Sub Summit today, you know, I would I would think that you've been doing this for a decade or more. It's such a massive event in the space, and you know, you guys are such a big name now. So it's it's really impressive what you've been able to do in such a short period of time. And so, you know, you're you you have connections with all of these people in the subscription box industry. You obviously come across a lot of subscription boxes. And so where do you see this industry going? Like what uh, what trends are you seeing and what do you think the next five years of the subscription box space look like? Yeah. So, you know, starting five years ago, subscription boxes really skyrocketed and was booming, right? You started to see it. And now to today, you start to, you can almost see a subscription for everything, right? Whether it's a monthly sponge to food and makeup and clothing, uh, it's become the consumer's buying behavior that they're starting to subscribe to more of these subscriptions and specifically subscription boxes. Uh, some of the trends that I'm seeing is uh, we're seeing more success with quarterly subscriptions versus monthly. Uh, and that also depends on, you know, what the product is. So I like to sort of break subscriptions into two different categories. That's discover and delight and then replenishment. So when you think replenishment, you think dollar shave club, you think Harry's uh, products that you need delivered monthly. Uh, or whatever the cadence may be. And the Discover Delight is like, hey, we're going to send you like monthly surprise. You're not, you're not going to sh- quite know what's in there. Maybe you're going to fill out a personalization pro- profile so that you have an idea or the brand can send you things that they think you'll like, but you don't know exactly what's coming. And I'm seeing that brands that are pivoting or introducing or are just on the quarterly model are seeing more success. I mean, some of the best, one of the best, uh, boxes and i guess the term best can be used casually right we don't know what to do there's no ranking but i would just say one of the number one boxes fat fit fun right they're on a quarterly basis have a ton of success and there's a lot of reasons for that mm-hmm. but even in our own experience uh we gentlemen's box started as a monthly subscription based on what the market was telling us based on what the audience was telling us you know they were canceling for a couple of reasons one financially maybe they couldn't afford it or two they didn't like it or three, they had too much stuff. Well, shifting to quarterly allows us to potentially eliminate two of those cancellation reasons. One for sure. Eliminate that. I have too much stuff. Right. And two, it maybe it helps them financially because they're getting billed once every three months as opposed to every month. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, and then also too, if you're in the subscription box business, like think about life when you're developed, when you're, when you're creating 12 box or uh, four boxes a year instead of 12, right? Like the landscape changes tremendously. So um, more manageable and we're just seeing higher LTV, higher quality consumer. And I, I believe that quarterly is a trend that you'll see more and more of. That's super interesting. And that, that's actually the first time I've, I've heard that. Uh, and it, it definitely makes sense because, you know, you look at churn numbers throughout the monthly uh, all the monthly subscription boxes. And a lot of people, you know, they uh, experience that renewal churn where every single month people renew and then a certain percentage of them drop off because, you know, maybe they forgot to cancel. And so you're also cutting that down from 12 times a year to four times a year, which is super helpful. Sure. And sure. so I'd imagine with, uh, with the quarterly boxes, you're raising your prices accordingly. So, you know, you're just taking that, uh, you're taking your monthly rate multiplying it by three. Well, you could be, I mean, right. Like in our case, we did that, but that doesn't mean you necessarily have to, right. You could, you, you really could be better off. Like, let's say you had a monthly subscription that was 50 a month. You might 
actually see more success if it was quarterly at 50 a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is, like you said, is about LTV and your highest box churn is going to be month one and two, right? Right. Like it's, it starts to like have that hockey stick effect, right? So um, we're seeing like nearly 150% increase in LTV when it's quarterly versus monthly. And um, so, yeah, I don't know that the, that necessarily has to be it that way, but I think that overall, regardless of the price of the LTV is higher, as you know, it, it allows you to have a higher CAC, which allows you to spend more to acquire customers. And you're just building a better relationship over time. Hmm. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I'm going to have to to take that one back and start implementing that. <laughs> yeah, good. good. So uh, at the time of recording this, obviously, you know, the whole COVID-19 situation is is going on. How do you see that impacting the overall state of the subscription box industry? Yeah, so I had this question asked a few times. Um, look, at I think right now, depending on what category you're in, you're seeing more success versus other categories, right? So like clothing is down during coronavirus because people really aren't going anywhere, so they don't need to dress up. Um, but you're seeing, you know, health products going up, that subscription's going up. Um, outdoor, I'm sorry, indoor sports, that category is going up. Uh, I think overall subscriptions are, are not seeing a huge decline. One, uh, buying behavior is being shifted to more online. And people that weren't shopping online as much are shopping more online now than they ever have. They're at home. Uh, people that are home right now because of COVID, they're on social media more than they've been on social media before. So you're seeing inactive users on, let's say, Instagram or Facebook becoming more active. That's giving you a whole new pool of potential customers to reach out to and acquire customers from. So that's in a sense, that's where you're seeing some uptick in sales as well, because you're getting these new audiences that are coming in and you're getting their attention. So uh, also too, subscriptions are, subscription boxes are allowing you to give the consumer an experience that they're not able to get on the retail level. And in some cases, it's replacing that experience on the retail level. And I think that given what's happened, what this like new, new normal is or whatever we're going to call it post COVID, uh, you know, retail sales are, are going to continue to slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to see less people shopping in stores and more people shopping online. So uh, it, in a sense, the subscription companies are probably not going to see a drop. Some have seen more success. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are seeing higher sales. Some are seeing a little bit of a drop. It just depends on the category, but overall subscription boxes are going to continue to grow. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. Um, and we're seeing that in a lot of our uh, client ad accounts as well, where customer acquisition costs are down. Uh, and part of that is just due to Facebook ad costs going down. But uh, especially in those surprise and delight type of subscription boxes, uh, I think a lot of people right now are just looking for some way to stay entertained while they're staying yeah. and yeah. in the house. Uh, so like we've seen some of the lowest customer acquisition costs that we've ever seen. And it's, I mean, as of right now, things are looking good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so continuing with that, uh, with that topic, I know you mentioned the replenishment and then the surprise and delight side of things. Uh, what are some of the things that you think make for a great subscription box product? Like are, are there certain things that people should be thinking about as they're getting into this space? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say things that I see brands do really well is like 
having themes around the boxes, right? So what you don't want is the consumer to feel like you just grabbed a, a bunch of random items and threw them in a box and sent it to them. Think about the theme. Uh, let the consumer know that you're, you've put a lot of thought behind what's going in here and it makes sense. Um, I think those that can get as much, much personalization as possible really helps with reducing churn. If you can have the customer fill out a profile or a questionnaire and, and you're allowed to sort of bring some variety to your different boxes, I think that that helps in terms of retention. Um, I also think, you know, the brands that are really surveying their customers are seeing more success, right? So it's super important that every month or every quarter, every shipment, you're surveying the customer and asking them, what do they think about this box? What do they think about each item? Rate each item one through five. That allows you to make better decisions for the future for your, your different subscriptions, your different subscription boxes and your different months coming up. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, especially, uh, you know, surveying your customers and making those product iterations. Uh, a lot of the people that, that I speak to in the subscription box space, they kind of stress out over the little things. Like they're worried about like their bidding strategy on Facebook or like which lookalike to test. And while those things are important, I always say that the main thing you can do is improve your product and, you know, focus on your offer and that makes everything else easier. From yeah. I think that, and like, listen to the customers, right? Like if yeah. like, if all the customers said they hated this uh, candle that was in the subscription box, then I wouldn't put another candle in a future one. Right. right? So right. like data is going to trump everything. And you can only improve on your product based on what the audience is telling you, right? Because there could be six of you in a room and you may all think you know what the consumer wants, but you really don't, right? And um, surveying them is gonna give you the answers. I would, I would, my recommendation would be that nobody ever make a decision on what they think should go in. Like, let's find out from the customers what they wanna see. Like, do a social post. Would you rather see this or this in the next, in a future box and let them vote? And yeah. if you got 80% pick the, red shirt versus or the red scarf versus the blue scarf well, like let's put the red scarf right like in there um i think that that's probably the most important part and then also when you're surveying it allows you to be proactive instead of reactive on churn so if somebody says they didn't like the box then customer service should be reaching out to them asap hey i'm so sorry you didn't like it like what can we do not like let's wait for them to churn and then try to win them back like let's save them before they think about the cancel button so that's what's really important too for a really successful box uh, is to, to take that data, not for your, just your future use, but use it as a retention tool to be proactive and get in front of that customer before they decide to cancel or jump on social media and, and say whatever they may say about uh, your brand. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and we used to do uh, similar things like that when I was back at Town to Killer. Uh, we would send out quarterly net promoter score surveys and you know, we were just constantly communicating with our customers, understanding what they liked, what they didn't like. And then we were always very proactive about things. Like even, you know, if we saw a general trend about like what people were starting to say about our product in say Q1, and we thought that it might be an issue in Q4, we would start to get ahead of it and, you know, proactively address those issues. Um, and yeah, I think that was, I mean, man, that's, probably one of the biggest reasons we were able to grow so quickly was just because we were actually listening to our customers and by again, being proactive about it, we were able to get ahead of those things. We weren't churning out as much. We were able to acquire customers more easily. So uh, it kind of snowballs into this, uh, this whole right. 
effect where you can just grow that much faster. Yeah. So sure. 100%. Moving on from, from that point, uh, I do want to dive into your experience with Gentleman's Box and uh, also, you know, what you're seeing among other subscription box companies nowadays. From a customer acquisition cost standpoint, are there certain channels that you're seeing are more effective or like what, what types of acquisition strategies are working now and what would you recommend other subscription box entrepreneurs follow? No, it's kind of a loaded question. It depends on the brand. I mean, look at Facebook is the number one place to acquire customers. I think it's going to continue to be that way. Um, and now, like I mentioned, there's more and more users becoming active on these social media platforms. So I really think brands should be doubling down on their spend as opposed to reducing their spend at this point. Um, but I mean, look, you're gonna, how are you going to acquire customers? You're going to acquire them through social media marketing. You're going to acquire them through email marketing. You're going to acquire them through influencer marketing. You're going to acquire them through partnerships. Like what else is there? Like what TV ads, you know, you know, right? Like it's like, it's, 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 you have to try things and see what works and then double down on the things that are working. Right. So there's no right or wrong answer here. The answer comes from the brand and what they're willing to do. I think what's important is you can't just spend a thousand dollars on Facebook and then get no signups and then think that Facebook didn't work. You've got to continuously try and you got to EV test and you got to try multiple campaigns and, and like you might have to run 20 campaigns and narrow it down to 10 and from 10 narrow it down to five and from five narrow it down to three. And then like, boom, like, triple down your money on those three campaigns. Um, but also getting like, you know, like thinking about some of this AI technology, how to include messenger. Um, you know, what we've, what we're, what we're looking to implement, like, so we've got now, like you can sign up to be on messenger so we can contact you via Facebook messenger. And we're seeing a lot of success with that with retargeting. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we want to implement, I actually talk about this in a, in a podcast that I have with Ben Parr from Octane AI is a lot of people use exit intent strategy, which I'm sure you're familiar with. We'll leave the screen, a pop-up comes up, it says, hey, enter your email, and we'll send you a coupon for 20% off, right? Yep. Um, I, we're looking to change the strategy, and when they go to exit, it'll say, uh, click, uh, save 10% on your, or here's a coupon for 20%, except being contacted via Facebook Messenger. One, they're trying to leave, so it's like literally one click. They don't have to stop and type in their email. They can just click yes. Yeah. And now I've got them in my Facebook messenger flow. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that'll work really well. And, um, yeah, you know, that's to answer the question. That's really, yeah, you've got to test, you've got to try the different platforms. You got to see what's working. You should be spending a lot on Facebook and Instagram because that's working well. And there's a lot of audience, uh, and, and, you know, think about building on TikTok. I mean, I, I'm hearing that TikTok influencers are working well, you know, again, that target demographics younger, but like, you know, the gen, the millennials and the Gen Z and the Gen X, like they're getting on TikTok, right. And they're watching it. You know, the beautiful thing about TikTok and what amazes me, and I love this. It's just like how talented humans are, right? Like these people are so talented. Like it, like they're so entertaining and, the cell phone has allowed the world is it's allowed individuals with extreme talent to be, to get exposure. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's awesome, right? 15 years ago, you're like, you had to go to like Cali and you had to try to, you know, become an actor or a comedian and like work your way that way. And you're, and you were like, wait, you're a waiter or a waitress. And you just like, you busted your butt. Like now it's like, dude, you just like record yourself. 
and like the whole i could like post something and now like a million people could see it tomorrow like and it's and it's just like people are so awesome like i just love it so you know tiktok is, is growing and it's so entertaining and it's so fun to watch like that's another that's a platform that i might consider doubling down on or try to get some work with some influencers on there and be, be be super strategic i mean it's it's not exposed at this point so there's an opportunity yeah yeah and and you're totally spot on by saying that like a lot of these uh a lot of people will test out these channels and then you know they'll maybe dump like a thousand dollars into it and then say that it doesn't work and i think a, a general rule of thumb to go with is you know it it's never the channel it's the messaging and the offer that's not working sure because you know if, if people are on the channel like if you know yeah. that your your target market is on the channel yeah. You know, as long as you can direct them to yep. your site and put a good offer in front of them, they should convert. And so you just have to understand the context of each platform, like make TikTok specific videos that work on that platform and drive right. traffic to your site that way. And then it's a little bit different for Facebook or Instagram. And be like strategic, right? So like, okay, so you're running Facebook ads and for us, it's now January 15th. Well, Valentine's Day is February 14th. We're 30 days out. So we've now spun up a whole new campaign targeting women in a relationship. Nice. Right? Because, right. So like, that's how you should be thinking about it. So it's like, you got to think about like, how to diversify these campaigns, you know, how to leverage them. When are they going stale? What adjustments do I need to make? I mean, like there's so many people on there and you said it, your audience is on there. Right. Like find them, find which one's working, which ads are working, which messaging is working. Like you literally should be creating two ads and there should be one thing different and f figure out which one works and like do that across, like, you know, just multiply that until you get like these ad sets that are just, that are booming. Right. Right. And you know, to that point, I do get why a lot of people starting out uh, get frustrated with it because it does take a lot to get it going. Like when you're, you know, bootstrapping a subscription box company, it's, nope. there are a lot of tests that need to be done and you're, odds are you're not going to hit it right away. And so right. there's a lot of testing up front, but the beauty of it is once you find out what's working, you can take those lessons and start applying them to other channels and see yep. it work on those channels. So like you kind of have a better starting point at least. But uh, yeah, I mean, with anything that's going to be testing and you just got to work your way through it. And like you said, you know, be methodical about it. A, B, test it. Don't just throw it up against a wall and see what sticks. Yeah. I think too for the the younger brands, those, those listening that might be early stage startup. Understanding the unit economics of this and the CAC and the LTV and what that really means. Like if your product costs a hundred dollars and you paid a hundred dollars to acquire them, like that might not be bad. Like you like inherently may look at that and be like, Oh my God, I just lost. But no, like what is their LTV? What are you actually making on the consumer? Um, and you know, I think something healthy is a three to one, but it's also you gotta like you gotta think early stage, you gotta build subscriber base. Like, don't focus on how much money you're making. Like, drive the subscribers, build the subscriber base. The more people that are in the subscription, the more likely that they're going to post about it themselves on social, which means you might have paid a hundred dollars for one customer, but that one customer might have got you another customer. Mm -hmm. So now you've essentially paid fifty dollars for two customers. Right. 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 So that's how they need to be thinking about it. Yeah, I think the, the early stages of this is more about just, you know, building that subscriber base and establishing your brand. And then, you know, you can kind of start to optimize things as you go from there. Yeah. Uh, so on that point, uh, I want to dive into retention because I know you said the other day that yeah. you were talking about retention. Yeah. And so 
what do you I, I think retention is a bit more concrete than like there are more you know uh, solid strategies that every subscription box can just implement from a retention side of things. Mm -hmm. And so what are some of your top retention tips to maximize lifetime value? Yeah, you're right. You know, people can implement these retention tips that I can talk about now tomorrow in their office. Um, what I think is super important is that people understand, they got to understand that retention is probably more important than customer acquisition. It is, I don't know the number four or five times cheaper to save somebody than it is to get a new customer. Mm -hmm. Um, I gave one of the tips already. One is survey your customer. When somebody's upset, reach out to them. You got to be proactive, right? Mm -hmm. And that's super important. So being proactive on getting to the customer before they leave or before they may leave bad feedback about your brand. Uh, another, another tool is, are you putting the, consu the consumers that cancel into a special drip series? So if a consumer cancels, they should be put into a special drip series within your email uh, software. So they would get an initial email that's like, hey, we're so sorry that you left. Thank you so much for being a customer. You know, uh, if you ever want to come back, please reach out, right? Yep. And then maybe, you know, 30 days later or two weeks later, it's a, hey, like we miss you. You know, this month our theme is X. If you want to come back, here's a 20% coupon, right? Then 15 days later, it's like, hey, here's what came in May's box. Want to join? Right. And so you build this sort of email drip series that's like this customer is gone. So like, let's try to win them back. You've already paid for them. And this drip series is going to acquire customers back. And so now you've gotten them, you've already paid for them. You've gotten them back. Right. So implementing a really good drip series is super important. Um, you can get kind of, you can get decently aggressive on retention, meaning. Um, so one thing to keep in mind is there's two types of churn, right? There's voluntary and involuntary. Mm -hmm. So your voluntary churn is, okay, we put them in this drip series, but your involuntary churn is their card failed or, right, that's, I'm sorry, that is it. Their card failed. So their card didn't go through. So what are you doing then? Are you ignoring it? I can tell you for a year and a half, Gentleman's Box did, right? Like we didn't know. Right? Like I probably left millions of dollars on the table because I didn't know about this retention process. So, but now what do we do? We email them. We say, hey, uh, there was an issue processing your card. Love for you to uh, please update your account. As soon as we email them, second step, we call them. Hey, we don't want you to, and, and it's, it's, it's a courtesy call. Like, hey, we want to make sure you don't miss out on this one's box. Can I help you update your account? Then follow it up with another email and then follow it up with another phone call. And so like we're doing this process and all of this is just to make sure they're not missing out, right? And those emails have to sort of like follow that same model. It's like, hey, like this month we're, our theme is this, like don't miss out. Here's a link, update your card, right? And then you know, one of our customer service representatives is calling them and saying, Hey, we want to make sure you don't miss out. Right. It's a courtesy call. They don't get mad. Right. Customers don't get mad. They're just, they're like, Oh, you know, maybe they may say, look, you know, we really don't want to renew. And it's, Hey, it's no problem. Right. Um, another, another quick tip is don't just let the customer cancel on the site by hitting cancel. Like let's find out why let's try to save them through the process. So cancel may then follow up with a couple of questions. Like, why are you canceling? If one of the questions is financial, then offer them a quarterly option yeah. or I have too much stuff. Well, Hey, you got too much stuff. Like you've got a quarterly option. I can't afford it right now. Okay. No problem. If you'd like, we could put you on pause for 30 days or 60 days. Right? So these are things that you need to implement where typically not typically, but a lot of brands might just like hit cancel, boom, done, get an email, you left, sorry, like a lot more to it. 
Yeah, yeah, and both of those strategies are are so important. The the dunning where you know you're you're sending them an email and getting you know getting your customer service to follow up with them, and then also the save offers. And I think it, it's kind of a mindset shift where a lot of subscription box companies, you know, they think that if customers canceled, it's because like they did something wrong and you know, they, their customers hate them now. And that was one thing that we learned from implementing those save offers was that's not the case at all. Most of the time it's like, Oh, I'm planning on signing back up. I'm, I'm moving or it's financial or uh, you know, there's another reason and you can reach back out to them and you're not wrong for reaching back out to them and no. asking resubscribe so it, it's kind of a mindset shift and it goes a long way i mean look you're not gonna make every customer happy not every customer is gonna love your product that's guaranteed right? right somebody's not gonna like something somebody's gonna be upset you're gonna do refunds you you, you gotta present immaculate customer service and it goes a long way yeah yeah absolutely so uh all right moving on from retention uh what are the most common characteristics that you see among the most successful subscription box entrepreneurs? The entrepreneurs themselves or the brand? Let's do the entrepreneurs and then the brand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'd say, look, it's like any entrepreneur, like you got to love it one, right. And you've got to live for what you're doing and you got to work. And I remember when we launched gentlemen's box working out of a basement of my house, like, if an email came in at eight o'clock at night on a Sunday, I responded by eight fifteen on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. Like even now our customer service team has 10 minutes to respond to a ticket during normal business hours. And so the same mentality that we had that I had when it was just three of us, like and no team, like we were, we're working under those same sort of parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the characteristics like, look, I mean, it's, I think it's the characteristics of any like successful entrepreneurs. Like you want it, you got to love it. You got to want it. Um, and when you love it and you want it, like it's not work, right? And uh, building a really good team, super important. I think entrepreneurs fall into a trap of, oh, I can do it faster than teaching somebody else. Like, like, like one of the dumbest things anybody could ever say, because like you're going to teach them. And the point is that they can eventually do it on their own, right? Yes, there's a time investment initially, but it's for them to free you up down the line, Right. Mm-hmm. And so hiring really good people is, is super important and taking time to train them and not having this mentality of I have to do everything. Now, look, if you can't afford somebody, you can't afford somebody, you have to do everything, right? And that happens to all entrepreneurs. I mean, there's a lot that, you know, have the, the, the silver platter and it's like, hey, I got $100 million or I got $10 million investment and I can go spend wildly. Well, it sets them almost off for failure. It's almost a trap, right? I'd rather, I'd rather the entrepreneur feel like they have to be scrappy the whole way through mm-hmm. and we've been able to do it. We've been able to build multiple multi-million dollar businesses with zero dollars mm-hmm. and um, we've been fortunate, but it's just because we got scrappy. We didn't spend wildly and we hired really good people. And, you know, as for myself, it's, you know, I like to not be so much in the weeds so that I can take a, you know, a bird's eye view and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, here's a strategy. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you got to just, you got to really, you know, guide the team and, and find some really good employees. And so on that topic, I, I think that's a, a, that's a big obstacle for a lot of subscription box companies as they're scaling. When do you know it's the right time to hire a new employee? And let's say you're just starting out, you're a solo entrepreneur, or maybe yeah, when you can afford one, just whenever. Okay. So when you can afford one, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So when you can afford one, right? So 
the minute you can afford one, look at if you are running a subscription box by yourself, you cannot do everything and do it really well. Right. So the minute you can afford somebody, get somebody in there because they can handle customer service. They can help with fulfillment. They can be in charge of product sourcing, mm-hmm. right? Like you as an entrepreneur can do everything, but not everything really well. It's the old saying, we try to get everything done. Nothing gets finished. Right. Focus on what you do really well. If you're really good at like curating the box, we'll be really good at curating in the box. Let somebody focus on customer service. If you're really good on customer acquisition, focus on customer acquisition and have somebody help on curating in the box. Right. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be good at all of it. I don't care what you say. Like, you're just not going to be like, find the right partners, find the right people that can get you there. So the first hire should be for whatever you are not good at and what you don't enjoy doing. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so uh, actually to, to follow up on the question, we went over most successful entrepreneurs. Now, what about the most successful subscription box brand? What are the commonalities? Yeah, so I think I touched on it. I think like the ones that are quarterly, I think are seeing a lot of success. I think ones that have immaculate customer service. I mean, like you hear stories of like Chewy.com, right? Sold for 3.5 billion to Petco. I don't even think they were profitable at that point. They're doing 300 million in revenue and they got like a 10X. But like, I, I read a story where they sent out a million Christmas cards, handwritten notes. Like, yeah. Like that's huge, right? So like impeccable customer service leads to this higher NPS score. Like that NPS score means something for a reason, you know, and brands that have that high NPS score traditionally have, have built a really good brand. But brands that have a really good customer service, I think goes so far away because it goes so far along. Um, you know, having that personal connection with your customer having somebody that's, that's like on social media. And like, if somebody comments on one of your posts um, for one of your boxes, you should be responding to it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I love this. Thank you so much. We love you. Like that simple. Somebody on your social media team should be going to all anybody that does hashtag your brand and liking those pictures and sending a comment mm-hmm. like fast. Right. Let's think about this. So I've subscribed. I'm going to just make this up. I'm subscribed to this golf box. We'll just say, we'll say short par four. I got my short par four. I'm excited. It's Wednesday, May 12th or 13th. What's today? The 13th, 13th. And I'm going golfing. I got the box. I post on social media. Guys, look at the weather. Just got my short par four. Can't wait to use this new uh, golf glove. Post it today. If short par four doesn't respond within that day, nobody's going to see that they responded, right? Because like there's a short time on social media. Like uh, yeah. you only see somebody's Instagram post from yesterday. You don't see the one from two days ago, right? Yeah. So they go on, Hey, Chris, glad you love the gloves, you know, shoot, you know, get 10 birdies today, whatever the hell they may say. Like, don't put the ball in the water if they want to be funny. Right. Right. Like, but then like you go, you're my friend and you're like, Oh dude, like that's sweet. Oh my God. Look, these guys are commenting. Like how cool is this? Like these little things, can have such a huge value to the brand and everybody should be really doing that. And that's what I think really helps build a successful brand. It's how do you communicate with the consumer? Do you put the time and quality into the product? What's your customer service look like? Mm-hmm. You do that. You care about the customer. The customers know. The customers know what brands care about them and what don't. Right? You've got Amazon.com that literally sells everything. Mm-hmm. And you're competing against it. But what Amazon can't do is build a customer relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you could not call Amazon.com and say, my dog is a six year old Siberian Husky. Um, I feel like he's having some joint problems. What do you recommend for dog food? 
Amazon.com representative is going to be like, um, <laughs> I don't know, Purina, right? You call <laughs> Chewy.com and they're going to walk you right through it. In fact, they've already developed a customer profile on your pet so they know. So when you call, like, oh, hey, Chris, how's, how's King? That's my Siberian Husky, right? Like, hey, well, he's six years old and I feel like he's having some joy. And they're going to say, well, you know what? You should have Purina Pro Plan and you should also get him these vitamins that are good for joints. Mm. But you can't do that. Amazon can't do that. Like, so these brands need to be thinking along those lines. Like for Gentleman's Box, you could call my customer service representative and ask him if you should wear a purple tie with this color shirt and we will tell you. Right. I'm not saying we're fashion experts, but mm. hey, you know, we'll give it a <laughs> shot. But it's the truth, right? Yeah, and, and that's super interesting because that's kind of one of those intangible differentiators where, you know, everybody's so focused on like what's the value prop and all these other things that come from the textbook. And yeah, those are really, really important. Uh, you know, you definitely can't underestimate how important those are. Yeah. But, uh, that's interesting that the one commonality that you see between the most successful brands is really just it boils down to caring about the customer. Oh, yeah. You can do that if they put in the 100%. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, uh, last question here, and I, I think I, I know what the answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So, <laughs> what's your number one piece of advice for people who are looking to quickly scale their subscription box company and they're just getting started out? Quickly scale? Oh man. So, what are you thinking? I was going to say like advertise on Facebook or something like. That? <laughs> what were you thinking? I was going to say. I thought you were going to say something along the lines of caring about the customer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, that's what you have to do. So I don't think that's going to scale your business. I think that's like, this is like what you have to do. Right. You know, scaling the business like this, I think like it's, it's, it's a hard answer because there's no right answer. I mean, like, look, I could go borrow $10 million and go buy 50,000 customers with Facebook ads. Right. But like that doesn't solve like, okay, I scaled the business, but like, am I not profitable? Right. So I think that people need to like, change the mindset a little bit, like build a really, really good business and it'll scale, mm -hmm. but not always, right? Like not every brand can scale. And like, what does that mean? Right. Scale could be like, I want a million subscribers, but like how many subscription boxes have a million subscribers? Like not very many, mm -hmm. right? Even in the men's subscription space, there isn't any over a hundred thousand besides dollar shape club and Harry's. Yeah. Right. So like, Forget the scale thing. Like, how can you build a really good, profitable business? That's what you need to be thinking about. Put in, care about the customer. Uh, put in the hard work. Uh, make sure you're being diversified with your marketing channels. Focus on customer acquisition costs and retention. Like, these are all things that are going to build up. When we built General's Box, we didn't say we were trying to build a business to a million subscribers. We were trying to build towards profitability. Right, right. It doesn't happen right away. But I probably, I would guarantee you that I have one fifth or one tenth of the subscribers of a lot of other brands and I'm more profitable. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's skill being scaling. is just like, yeah, you want to do it, but build a business for profit. Don't worry about having a hundred thousand subscribers and you're losing money and you're on a, you know, you're on a 12 month burn rate. And that's going to, yeah, you're just going to be thinking you're going to be stressed when it hit month 11 and you haven't, now you got to give up equity and now you're, now you're giving up equity and now you're sending reports to this guy that's got 20% of your business. And now you're talking to him more than you talk to your wife. Like, uh, man, fuck all that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and that's one of those Gary Vaynerchuk things where he's like, everybody's yep. going to be LeBron, you know? And it's like, it's okay to just build a profitable business that serves your lifestyle and that you enjoy. And you, like you said, yeah. you, 
give up equity. You're not ready to tear your hair out because you're sending reports to some investor. Yeah. Like, okay. And that's, you're still probably in the top two. And, and you can scale still. Like you might scale still. Like it's not saying don't try to scale. I'm just try to build a really good business. And if it scales, it scales. When we built sub summit, we never built it because we wanted to make money. Mm. We said we wanted to build a community. I wanted to have uh, Katya's contact information and Michael from FedFund's contact information because there were leaders in the subscription space and I knew if I had a question, I could call them. Right. Or spoke at my event. I was, it was 2016. We were, our business was only three years old. If I had an issue, hey, I could call Michael. Hey, Michael, how did you handle this for your business, right? right. That's why we did it, did it, to build a community. Well, mm. what turned into building this amusing community actually turned into a business that drives revenue. Mm. and we've built a whole other business on it, but we've never shifted our mindset from the idea that we're building a community and we're staying focused on that. We built something to help other entrepreneurs and nothing gets me more excited than when I talk to an entrepreneur and they, they were able to come to one of my events, hear me speak, come to subject.com and learn something that changed their business. That's what gets me up every morning. We've mm. never thought about how much money we were making. It's, it's, it's not in the, in, in, in the focus. It's build an amazing business. The money, just money secondary. And, and it, and it's been our most successful business because that was our mindset. Mm-hmm. When we launched Gentleman's Box, I'm not going to lie, different mindset. I was like, all right. Like everything was like, how many boxes did we sell today? Like it was transactional. Right. It was like, we got to sell a hundred. We got to sell a thousand this month in order to hit this target goal. Mm-hmm. And our most successful business was the one that we built that we weren't focused on how much money we were making. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, when you approach it with that mindset, it's just so much easier to improve the value proposition of the business because you're not worried on like profit margins and all these other things like how can i add value how do you build an awesome business man that's awesome well uh yeah i think that that wraps things up for us before we close out here i do want to ask you uh how can people sign up to become a member of subta and sub summit yeah no great so you can go to subta.com s-u-b-t-a.com uh, you can join Subta for free. There's two, there's two uh, memberships. There's a free membership, which has access to our Slack channel and a lot of great content. And there's a paid membership, which gets you some more access to white papers and exclusive content. But uh, absolutely, if you're thinking about subscription, check out Subta.com. Uh, and also, if you want to come out to one of our events, our next event's November 4th. You can check that out at subsummit.com. We'll also be hosting a virtual conference in July, and you can look for updates at uh, our website. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. And uh, I will definitely see you at Sub Summit this year. Appreciate it, Steve. Thanks so much, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into that episode of our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I want to invite you to contact Harbor Marketing Agency. We know how frustrating it can be when you feel stuck and you're not sure how to profitably grow your e-commerce or subscription box business. We've helped e-commerce and subscription box brands from all over the world with our done-for-you Facebook ad system that takes the marketing off of your hands so you can avoid slow growth and getting beat out by the competition. If you're ready to grow your e-commerce or subscription box brand, go to harbormarketingagency.com and book a call to get started.